We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 499 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I have the pleasure of welcoming to the show Amos Murphy from the City Report Podcast. And I am breaking my own policy, by the way, of recording shows about new signings until they've been completed. Because, well, João Cancelo does seem pretty close to Barcelona, and I'm going to be going away for a few days. So this is pre-recorded, and hopefully by the time it hits your ears, the cover art is Cancelo holding up that Barcelona jersey. That would make it easier for everybody. Or if he didn't and he went to Saudi Arabia, well, then hello to our new Saudi Arabia fans, because that's the only reason you'd be listening to this podcast. Or, you know, maybe I just want an excuse to talk to Amos again. How's the start of the season treating you, Amos? And, well, I guess not just you, but City, regardless of that silly community shield and all that stuff. It's funny, isn't it, Dan? We spoke, what was it, back in June after City won the Champions League, so a May two months ago, and City have already won another trophy and been beaten in another final, as you mentioned. But it's um, it's quite nice, this uh, European Championship malarkey. You qualify for quite a few competitions that you can add to your trophy cabinet. So it's been, it's been a good start to season, obviously, Community Shield notwithstanding. So today, again, the focus is going to be all about Jao Cancelo. We've already done the hard work of talking about, we'll say, the bigger signings. But it seems like, for function's sake, the Jao Cancelo one is almost as, necess- as a necessity as Gundogan because of what Cancelo potentially solves and the problems that he may solve. So before we get into his history, which is usually what I start these breakdowns with, I'm starting with the last part of it. How might he help Barcelona this season? Amos, Jules Kunde is not a right back. Ronda Rajo is not a right back. Some would argue Sergio Roberto is also not a right back. But Jao Cancelo is a right back at the very least. Barcelona need a right back to defend counters, overlap, and add width to the right to allow Rafinha to come inside. Because again, for those who are screaming that Lamini Mall, the 16-year-old, now needs to be the starter, or that Ferran Torres on the right would be the starter. No, no. Rafinha, when he's not suspended, is going to be the starter for FC Barcelona on the right wing. So he has to be a right, right back who can work with Rafinha. But he also has to be good enough, technically, to create quick patterns of play against low blocks, so he can contend with elite competition and we'll say teams in the Liga that aren't necessarily trying to be as proactive uh, and trying to beat you on the counterattack. So with all of that being the job description, I'd say that Barcelona are looking to have in a right back. Do you think Cancelo is the man for the job? I'm asking the big question right up front. I love the little sly dig at Hatafe. I have to say, I watched that first game of the season and it was a, anything but a football match. I think Barcelona were a little bit hard done by there, but I, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, you say Barcelona after a right back. Does Is, is Jao Cancelo a right back? I guess that's probably the bigger question because he, he spent the last sort of two years, I'd say 18 months of his City career playing left back. I think what's important to recognise at this point is he is an immensely versatile and immensely talented and a very, very, very capable footballer. So this is a, a transfer straight off the bat for Barcelona fans listening. Get excited because he is he is the real deal. Technically speaking, he is probably up there with the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, David Silva, potentially even Ilkay Gundogan as the players in the in the sort of Pep Guardiola era at Manchester City who have impressed the most with a football at his feet. There are very few things he cannot do. 
I'd get excited for the uh, the outside of the boot passes which are about to come because you will start to see them quite a lot. And I don't think they ever get tiring, especially when you had Erling Haaland sort of latching his seven foot eight frame onto the end of crosses to score goals. But just on the surface, it, 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 he's a player who has excited caught the imagination and, and I'm sure and, and that's been the case wherever, wherever he's been by the way that was the case at Juventus that was the case at City this will be the case at Barcelona should the deal go through the issues as we'll get to are more underlying but as a footballer on his day I guess you would say he's the best in the world I, I think even after this sort of short spell at Bayern Munich uh, on loan and the fallout at City I think when you look around Europe at the, the fullbacks who are available partly because of the tactical shifts we've seen where you know City for example have moved away from traditional fullbacks he still retains that tag as the best fullback in the world well I was going to ask next if you can really be trusted as a left back to Balde and I think the answer is a resounding yes and to that point about Cello as well I think that when you're looking at him overall as a footballer, as a career player, he is still just 29. And what he does on the ball, not to say that you build around it, but you do need to fit him into a system that makes a ton of sense for him. And his versatility, I think, is also the big reason why Xavi was willing and saying that this has to be the guy. Because we look even at when Gunnarwin was brought in, because he can play a bit deeper, he can play farther forward. And with Xavi in a system that is not complete, it is a 3-4-3, maybe, right? Is it a, a it's a 3-2-5 in buildup against teams who, again, Hadafe, Cadiz don't necessarily want to have the ball too much. That's what Barcelona playing. But when push comes to shove late in games, it's also been almost traditional 4-3-3 when Xavi decides to put on more than two attackers to join his five or six midfielders on the field and actually play with well, maybe, well, there's always more midfielders, but with, with a few more attackers, if you will, and, and changing up those jobs. And again, Cancelo, not to say that it gives Xavi versatility with the formation and the template, but you know, I don't like the idea that Xavi's going to be jumping around. It, it's, are you solving problems in a much more nuanced sense? So the next question about Cancelo would be, does him being so ball dominant, which he is, his technical ability, as you said, is looking at the numbers statistically, top 1% of all uh, fullbacks in world football, regardless of age and, and all the other the all the other traits. So does being so ball dominant affect the way he provides width? Because I think people are getting excited about the idea of him playing with Rafinha, who we know seems to be allergic to the sideline. So with Rafinha wanting to come in on that left foot and best being utilized in that way, can Cancelo add the width as an overlapping fullback? But in that same sense, do you trust him to also defend and be a right back if Xavi does want to switch a little bit more traditional 4-3-3 because I brought up after Cadiz I'm watching that game and I'm looking at Alejandro Balde where he's supposed to be the left winger who's getting farthest forward because the right winger being Rafinha or Lamini Mall is kind of sitting on that back line but they receive the ball then they attack in a 1v1 situation if Balde is going to receive the ball on the left very much like Jordi Alba he's going to have to get in behind but now he's also being tasked with defending that entire left flank and being the left back as well and if you ask a 19-year-old, sure, he's got the lungs. But once Barcelona start playing twice a week, that is a major concern. And while Cancelo will be a rotation piece, so, sure, I, I just don't think that is I, I just don't think that is viable to expect that to, to happen for Balde all season long. Uh, it's a bit unfair to put that on his shoulders at 19 years old to be so influential to mm-hmm. Barcelona's results. So again, for Cancelo, do you really believe that he's going to be able to add the width and be a traditional right back to the point where Xavi can almost completely change his system based on the qualities that he has? It's almost interesting because I, I felt when Cancelo was at the peak of his powers that we we didn't we didn't see City ever even under Guardiola, we've never really seen City go for a free at the back. That is, and and I've always wondered, oh, would Cancelo, you know, would would he would he suit that? Obviously if we're going to be honest, the weakest part of his game is his defensive attributes. But when you've got a coach like Xavi, I guess that sort of disappears in a way in terms of what you want your fullbacks to do. Because to compare in the in the modern era, I guess you would say the only real sort of names who, who come to mind when you're discussing that style of attacking, technically gifted, 
truly fantastic right backs is probably Dani Alves, who I'm sure Barcelona fans are very well accustomed to. And now that isn't me saying that <laughs> Cancelo will go on to have anywhere near as good of a Barcelona career as Dani Alves, because quite frankly, that's not going to happen, even at even at his uh, even at his 29 years old or whatever it is. But in that sense, where their attacking ability and what they, the output they give you with the ball shines so brightly, you can almost concede the the defensive attributes. The issue for Barcelona and the issue for Xavi will be how they consolidate that behind him. And now, obviously, to Stegen's a fantastic keeper. I really like Christiansen. I think he's a really good uh, centre-half. And th- there's a few other bits and bobs in there. But when we were speaking last time, Dan, about the addition of Gundogan, my sort of... <sighs> My my warning was he's not defensive midfielder. He can't do that job on his own. And obviously, Oriol Romeo's come in, who is a, a shrewd signing, but I think even the most sort of ardent supporters of him will say he's not a world beater. There is still room for improvement in that position. So I would fear perhaps in the transition because we know Barcelona likes to dominate possession. That's the way they'll set up under Xavi. But there is there is always that fear. And, I, and one game, um, listeners, if, if you remember it, would, would have been... City going to Liverpool last season at Anfield. It was a tense game, a tight game. City had a goal ruled out in the second half, back to nil-nil. And I think Salah scored with 15 minutes to go or 10 minutes to go or something like that. And it comes from a City corner in the sense that the ball's whipped in, Alisson maybe collects it and then springs a, a, a sort of a looping long ball to the halfway line and Cancelo's caught underneath it, rabbit in the headlights, doesn't particularly know what to do with it. Salah bursts in behind, gets a shot away and scores a goal. And that wasn't the first time we'd seen Cancelo almost get done 1v1 in those situations. So I would be lying if I said there wasn't a a, a fear, perhaps defensively. There are moments where his concentration goes missing, but you balance that out with what he can bring to a side when he does have, have the ball. And especially with Lewandowski, he needs no invitation to score goals. Stick Cancelo in there, who is not only one of the best creative defenders, but one of the best creators in Europe. I think 21-22, the, the 20, 21-22 season for City, he got in the Premier League team of the year and, and just some of his numbers were, were ecstatic. You know, they, they, were, they were rivaling some of, the, some of the continent's best wingers, let alone fullback. So... If you can get him back to that level, I think Barcelona have a a real gem on the hands because I guess one of the criticisms from the La Liga win last year was the fact that Barcelona were winning a lot of games, 1-0, 2-1, sort of grinding games out. There wasn't really that flair. Add Cancelo into that, I think you're going to have a much more exciting build-up, a much more exciting team and, and certainly score a lot more goals. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Well, yeah, the criticism of the one nothings is that I think critics said that it, a lot of it came down to luck. And when goalkeepers like Ter Stegen are having career years, you do say, oh, there, there must be some kind of luck element. But it's funny because then the inverse happens when, again, that game against Cadiz, because this is, I reviewed it myself, but this is also the first podcast of the guests after that, that Ledesma completely stands on his head and, and looks like one of the best goalkeepers in the world. But also I look at his numbers 
for Cat Ethan. Ledesma is the main reason why Cat Ethan is still up in the first division. And mathematically, he is one of the best goalkeepers, not only in Spain, but mathematically, he's like top 20 in world football in just those countable metrics as to what your goalkeeper provides to you, as was Ter Stegen. So they were both quite, quite up there. And we'll talk about actually about goalkeepers and their roles later at the end when we talk a little tactics. But yeah, going back to the career prospectus, if you will, for Cancelo, Again, not bringing up red flags here, but uh, green flags, red flags, it seems like everywhere because he got his start at Benfica, big club, obviously, so comes up with a lot of expectations. But Barca fans, I think, likely remember him at Valencia, which is where I know him from, which is where I watch him plenty from 2014 to 2017. And what's interesting about the Valencia years is just how bad he was in 2016 and 17, which is a long time ago. He was still 23, 24 at the time. But that season, he made a ton of defensive errors, which are, again, some of the ones that I remember. He also feuded with his own fans before he left, the first time he got to do that in his career. But manager Cesare Prandelli, to that point, switched his position between right back and right wing because, again, while he was still in his early 20s at the time, this would be the first time that his talent kept him on the field. But his errors and, we'll say, some of his attitude gave his manager headaches. And yet, this was the first time in his career when he was worth it if you will, as in like, you are not, all the negative that you provide is not enough to keep you off this field. We have got to get you talent-wise on this field. So then obviously, even with all that talent, everybody behind the scenes, and I don't know about this because Peter Lim is Peter Lim. So even if there are things behind the scenes, is it really a toxic player when the owner is one of the most toxic in world football? Again, I'll leave that up to Valencia supporters to the side. But then anyway, it's off to Inter Milan for a year, alone with an option to buy, he was included in the Serie A Team of the Year, but he was inconsistent. So he's, he's named to the Serie A Team of the Year, but he's still inconsistent, and Inter Milan didn't buy him. So he signs for Juventus in 2018 on a five-year deal. That wouldn't really matter that much, though, because City, who have spent money on fullbacks in recent season, I think that's a fair assessment, correct? That they've spent a few, yep. a yep. few <laughs> euros, one or two on defenders and fullbacks, sure. So he's sent with $27.4 million plus Danilo to Juventus, uh, rather, that being Danilo, to Juventus for Concello, comes to Man City for a total value of $60 million, a package, which at the time, the package deal of $60 million was the most expensive for a football full, fullback value, as in we're just talking about the value of the transfer in world football, because that is not just a, an exact value right up front with a transfer fee. We don't see it in the same light. But he lost the competition in that first year for a starting right back spot to Kyle Walker. And I would say when he first arrived, very much like he's first arriving at Barcelona, why do you think he struggled in his first season? It, it was just the competition with Kyle Walker and Kyle Walker was just better and you kind of just live with that? Um, yeah, I, I guess. In the context of the fact that Kyle Walker is probably, and obviously there was a, a quite a big transfer saga this summer, Kyle Walker, perhaps he was, he, or no, he isn't now, but there was a, a time where it looked like he was going off to buy Munich. But he would have left City, be that this year, be that next year, be that whenever he goes. And even at that point in his in the sort of 2019, 2020, whenever it was, he was one of the best Premier League right backs at the time, perhaps of all time. So that sort of gives you the 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 idea of the quality and just how sort of high regard he's held him. But when he joined City, there was this feeling of a bit like, oh, all right, okay, Danilo was was. He played a part in the 2018 Centurions win for City, a title win where they got 100 points. And it was he, he was seen as this sort of very useful operator, could deputise for Kyle Walker and, and would still maintain those standards. His creative output was sufficient to help City to go on and do what they were looking to do under Guardiola in those early years. Cancelo comes in. Obviously, like you say, he'd been a bit of a journeyman up until that point. There had been talks about his attitude. Obviously, his spell at Valencia was marred by, well, quite a, a circus both on and off the pitch, but managed by Gary Neville at one point as well. And and he, Gary Neville, for people who live in England listening to the show, will know this, but Gary Neville is, is a, a, a high-class pundit in the UK. He's, he's part of the Sky Sports coverage, and, and you know he was berating this new sign in City of, of spent money on, like you say, the most expensive fullback ever. Why on earth have they done it? When I was managing him, he was awful. And, uh, and I think, actually, Manchester United had 
passed up the opportunity to sign Cancelo. I don't know if it was on the word of, of Gary Neville, but certainly sort of wasn't impressed with him at all. So, so there were certainly some question marks about it. And even in that sort of first early well, period, well, it's just point of Gary Neville, very much like Ronald Koeman, when those two speak about their time as mayor of Valencia, <laughs> I don't know why they bring it up. If I was those two, I just I wouldn't mention it. I wouldn't say it. I would just say, I, I wasn't really doing much. If you're Koeman, I was like, I, I was on vacation from 2007. And if it's never never the same thing, like I had that gap year, I, I was exploring the rest of Europe, enjoying Spain, clearly not speaking almost any Spanish at all. And he's admitted that, that he, he came to, to Spain. I don't know. So it's just like, to me, with Gary Neville talking about any players at Valencia, he maybe, even if he's right, two wrongs don't make a right in, in that in that season. I, I don't know. That's what's... Yeah. yeah, it's like when employers ask you for gaps in your CV and your employment history, you should just, just completely scrap it. And so, like you say, I don't know what I was doing. Uh, Phil Neville as well, but that's a completely, completely different issue. But yeah, you know, when he arrived at City, it was a bit, a bit underwhelming. He, he played, he didn't he didn't make that instant impact. And, and I don't think anyone really expected him to. <laughs> Being honest, I, I sort of, when he arrived, I thought, okay, I'll be gone in two years. Because that's the sort of transfer it felt like. It felt like it was just a, a stopgap, this sort of, European name who's been around the circuit for a little while, you know, a Real Madrid would come calling or, or something like that. But obviously, as we'll move on to now, he, he blossomed into, I don't think anybody would ever imagine it, over 150 appearances for City. It was it was crazy, that his, his glow up, considering what had come before it. Yeah, so yeah, that immediately we followed up, but things got much better for him in year two, and he seemed to get really comfortable as an inverted right back, helping with build-up, stepping into the midfield, gets himself named to the EPL team of the year. And so quite simply, yeah, in one year it all turned around. What made those the best of times for Cancelo? Like you say, the, the the system completely changed at that point. Sergio Aguero was being phased out of the team, um, having been a sort of a stalwart, even under Guardiola. There were doubts when, when Pep arrived, the fact that Aguero wasn't his sort of striker. Gabriel Jesus was signed early on, and it looked as if he would be the man to take up the mantle, but Aguero stuck about. But by 2020, obviously, injuries were starting to catch up with him. And Cancelo just sort of goes on this absolute tear of, of performances. And productivity-wise, I'm not quite sure if it was his, his best season. But, it, you know, he didn't light the world up in terms of getting an assist, getting a goal every other week. But just the consistency. And, and at this point, City were establishing themselves in Europe that this was the first season they reached the Champions League final. So it, he just brought, I, I, I don't know, I guess a, a different a different dimension on that right-hand side. Kyle Walker, for so many years, had been that bombing down the right, cutbacks into the centre-forward, working alongside someone like Raheem Sterling, Sergio Aguero in the box, finishing. But as City transitioned to the more false nine uh, formation, and, and Ilkay Gundogan, funnily enough, probably City's best player of that season, dropping down from uh, from the centre-forward position. He, he scored something like 20-odd goals in that campaign for City. So it just sort of shows you how more dependent they were on other creative assets. And, and it allowed somebody like Cancelo to step up and, and really shine. I think this is when City fans became accustomed to his his long-range efforts and by no means would all of them come off. But he scored some genuine world-class goals that I think will be will be on the highlights reels for, well, forever, really. You know, it, and, and it, it's difficult to put into words just how important this period is for City going from 2020 up until probably the modern day, or at least the Champions League final against Inter Milan, this is when we really start to see City go from a team who have won a couple of trophies under Guardiola to one who are regarded as the best in the world. Obviously lost the Champions League final that year, but City's uh, Premier League title win run, consecutive run, is still unbeaten from this season. So, it, it you know, he, he really did stake his claim and, and made himself almost undroppable towards the end of that season. Well, we're going to go ahead now to the, we'll say the negative aspects of, of all of this. And it's off the field stuff because Xavi so far in his career, and we've seen, he has a locker room that is quite young. He has a locker room that last season also was quite long in the tooth. And I think he actually navigated with pretty good certainty. I think people worried about the whole idea of the, the Los Amigos, that being Busquets and, and Messi and Alba and well, I mean, Messi, in theory, was supposed to be a part of that with, with, with Xavi. But because it was to start last season, PK as well, there was this idea that he was obviously going to favor his friends. But 
Last season, Baldy became the undisputed starter, and I think Busquets was valuable enough that any manager, regardless of his relationship with Busquets, would have had the number one captain starting as much as he did. So I think Xavi has people kind of forget where they had the feeling like, oh, he 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 relies and he he cares too much about the players that he wants, and he doesn't have the control of a locker room. I think is the way I'm trying to say this. But now it seems like this season there is very much a kumbaya. As much as Lewandowski is Lewandowski, big personality. Again, he's a whole different topic for another day. That's that's not your expertise. But in, in terms of the locker room, it seems like he has buy-in from those in the middle years. That being, I'd say Ter Sagan is still there and the likes of De Young. And even Kunde. for all the ups and downs of Kunde saying, I don't want to play right back, it seems like there's never been a, a, an added element of toxicity or attitude. It seems like that is stuff that is propagated by the media more than it is some kind of internal issue within the club that Xavi is dealing with the, these egos. So... Xavi really hasn't had some kind of big manager toxicity row in now the almost two years he's been uh, as manager of Barcelona. So adding context to all of this, do you think that row last fall with Pep Guardiola, which I want you to get into explain as well, which has earned him the locker room toxic reputation that he has? Did you always hear stuff like that about him? Because again, we went back to the Valencia days and we already nibbled a little bit on it. And I, I mean, it is a consideration that he's considered one of the top right backs in the world on his day and played for some of the biggest clubs in the world. But he has already been at six clubs in nine years, which is a lot of clubs for a guy that is supposed to be one of the best at his very position. Because as you mentioned, 2021, 22 wasn't so bad for him either. Had some major highlights, had some lowlights. But you're talking about two straight years where he is arguably, yes, one of the top five fullbacks in all of world football. So then, I mean, something changed because he's off to Bayern Munich in January. And then Bayern Munich in the summer said, we don't want him either. So now you have Man City and Bayern Munich saying, no, we do not want on paper one of the top five fullbacks in world football. I mean, something about that just seems much more serious than, again, people like me who will say, ah, Xavi will be fine. Because other people are saying, that guy still doesn't know what he's doing in commanding a European locker room. And he's two years in, not being Xavi, still a young manager. What is he going to do if Cancelo wakes, comes around and around and arrives? And even as a starter says, hey, I don't like the way you're using me. I don't like the way things are going. It's only been two months, but heck with you. I mean, I guess, again, we'll get into the, the contract of it. But the whole loan to buy situation does mitigate some of those problems. But the whole point would be if Cancelo is making this move, the idea would be that he would want to be making it for multiple seasons. You don't just move, no offense to Manchester, but you don't just move from Manchester to Barcelona and say, yeah, I'm, I'm actually only here on vacation. No, you, you move so you can stay permanently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it goes to show the complexity of, of the character himself. Um, I, I guess we'll work backwards and we'll start with the Bayern Munich one because I, I, I think that's probably the simplest one to explain in the sense that it felt like a vacation. Um, it uh, they had an option to buy. And I think even when that news broke that he'd gone out on loan to buy Munich and, and I think it was 60 odd million pounds or something like that, there was this option in his contract. But I think most people knew that was never going to get triggered. Even if he wanted to stay at Bayern Munich and Bayern Munich wanted to keep him, it would always be much lower than that. But obviously then Julian Nagelsmann gets sacked, Thomas Tuchel comes in, completely different manager. They get knocked out of the Champions League by City, which was incredibly funny. They get knocked out of the DFB Pokal. Um, they just about, for Borussia Dortmund's best efforts, or maybe worst efforts in the end, win Bundesliga on the final day. So he does have some sort of resemblance of a decent enough time in Bavaria. But, it, you know, it was a, it was a rather mediocre loan spell. So he returns to City and he's back in the preseason squad. But before that, it's interesting. I've never personally experienced a toxic relationship, so I wouldn't know what it was like firsthand until I supported a club where Joe Cancelo was playing. Because up until, well, maybe even last season at some points, he looked the happiest, he looked the best, he was the highest performing um, player in the squad. There's a moment actually in City's last day title win against Aston Villa in 2022 when, when the fans invade the pitch. And this, this video, this this unbelievable video, it's almost cinema-like in a sense where Cancelo's just being serenaded by supporters and he's sort of just like in, not, not quite in tears, but just uh, an unle- uh, un- unreleasing emotion that you can't continue and he's looking to the heavens and it's, I'll try and dig it out but it's, it's, it's beautiful it's a really sort of a, a moment that sums him up personally in the uh, in the passion sense 
But then when it all goes wrong, boy, does it go wrong. There were reports around January time. Jack Gorn in the Daily Mail did a fantastic exclusive piece on this where uh, City had an FA Cup game against Arsenal at the back end of January. So there's only a couple days left of the January transfer window. And and Rico Lewis, who obviously is a a youngster who broke through on the scene at City last season, he gets the go-ahead. He's given that spot at right-back or inverted right-back, essentially ahead of Cancelo. And Cancelo just goes off the rails, essentially, um, allegedly, according to this report. Um, isn't happy about it. Apparently, it had been building up for a number of weeks. The fact that his game time had been limited since the World Cup. And obviously, you know, you mentioned, does does uh, Xavi have the, the minerals to go and manage a, a player like this? Someone who certainly has no time for it is Pep Guardiola. And when you get on Guardiola's bad side, be that on a playing perspective or an attitude perspective, it's incredibly difficult to right those wrongs. And um, I think most people were surprised he even came back for pre-season, let alone the fact that he hadn't been shipped out straight away. And I guess maybe that was the case of wages and, and potential suitors and, and finding the right deal. But it it, it just it it couldn't have deteriorated any faster or any more ugly if it tried. And secretly, I think City will be quite happy to be washing the hands with him, I guess. And, and that's not what you want to hear as a fan of a club who's about to sign someone. The flip side to that, though, and and the the encouraging side for Barcelona fans is if he can be playing in a squad week in week out. He's, I'm not going to say give him the captain's armband, but he's that sort of figure. He's that that leader in a dressing room. You know, he will he will drag teams to results. He is somebody who you want on your team. Say you take him out of that environment for dare say two matches, three matches in a in a consecutive run, then you've got problems. And and I guess that's not really what you want from a top level footballer. A little bit like his compatriot Cristiano Ronaldo, I guess. Oh, well, I mean, obviously, that's like the Voldemort name here on, on this podcast. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I know I'm going to kind of stretch you out here with this with this next question. But yeah, 18 goals, 64 assists, 381 career appearances. Those numbers aren't the point for a right back. That's not really what we're talking about. But I know you aren't really familiar with him. And they're entirely different fullbacks, even the potential of um, this player. But if you were Barcelona, would you have gone for even Fresneda the 18-year-old for Real Valladolid for 15 million plus. And again, the other option being Cancelo and all of what he might bring for, again, the the, the good and the bad. Uh, again, I know you might be unfamiliar with, with Fresneda, but I think there is a world, certainly, where, uh, especially on online, where Fresneda being 18, you kind of say, hey, this is what we think this player is going to be. And you kind of weigh the potential of Fresneda. You say, this is what he was last year for Real Valladolid. So we know that's what Barcelona would, would have been buying. And his potential, though, is much greater than that thing. For Cancelo, it's almost the opposite where you say, is Barcelona really getting the best version of him? You wouldn't expect that after his last year and a half on the field. So also with the overall verdict to you, even if you know, obviously not asking to weigh in on Fresneda, but would a loan as well, where Barcelona pay his wages and then a 30 million euro obligation? Again, by the time this hits your ears, these numbers might be different. But if it's a third, let's say it is just a 30 million euro obligation to buy if he hits those certain parameters. And then as, as well, Barcelona paying his wages, which are pretty high. They're not like Bartomeu Barcelona era high, but they are pretty high for a, a right back. So would that be a good deal for Barcelona? And do you think that in the long run, they would have made an error by going for Cancelo instead of Fresneda. It's interesting. Fresneda is a player, obviously, who's been linked with Premier League moves, along with Real Madrid, Barcelona. Uh, I think Arsenal and Newcastle have been the most interested. In fact, Arsenal came rather close to signing him uh, in January of this year, last season. Um, so he's obviously somebody who's on the lips of a lot of people, and he's a very promising uh, uh, obvious klaxon alert but it's someone you're buying into for the future I guess the question for the Barcelona recruitment team and well maybe just looking around the Barcelona squad in general what do you or what do they want Barcelona to be going forward because they won La Liga and you know it wasn't it wasn't uh, one of the classic messy La Liga wins or Guardiola or Luis Enrique it was a it was a La Liga win and you got it over Real Madrid which was at that time you know the start of last season I think some people were tipping Barcelona but most people would have probably said Real Madrid. That was a, that was a big win for Barcelona. They they got one over on Real Madrid. And if you look at Real Madrid now, 
granted, they've got Jude Bellingham, but are they in much better state? Perhaps no, they've lost Benzema. Um, so there's a gap there, I still feel. Ancelotti probably isn't the right man for that squad. I wouldn't be surprised if Ancelotti's sacked mid-season. Obviously, it's likely he'll he'll probably be replaced in the next year or two. So I guess the, the, the question for Barcelona at this point, to go back to it, is how do we build on that La Liga win? Because yes, Fresneda would be a fantastic signing. And in five years' time, he could be the Cancelo of the next decade. But right now, back in the Champions League, two consecutive seasons where Barcelona have dropped into the Europa League. To put it frankly, that's not good enough. And, and Xavi will know that has to improve. So Cancelo is a person who who almost increases the extra percentile from being a league winning team to sustaining that league win as we've seen with City he was part of well all three of the past three league wins obviously the the, the latter one only half of it but also in the Champions League where you are playing and it's funnily enough we're sort of crossing the conversations over from our Gundogan chat because it's almost identical situation where you could go for uh i don't know 19 20 year old sort of playing either segunda division or you know a, a lower a lower table a league team and you could maybe get them on the cheap obviously gundwan was very cheap but to the next evolution i almost feel for this chavi team is to make a statement in europe or at least maintain that position at the top of la liga and work towards making that statement in europe and, and i feel like cancello over fresnader is somebody who allows you to do that the ideal world, obviously, you get both of them in and one shadows the other. Financially, that's probably not possible. But if I'm, if, if it's me and the Barcelona board and there's Cancelo and there's Fresneda in front of me, given the state of, uh, of, of Xavi's squad, I'm probably siding with Cancelo, despite what we've just spoken about in terms of his obvious attitude problems. Yeah, I would also say it's a bit hypocritical for Kool-Aid to say that you need to trust in the academy, trust in the academy, trust in the academy. But then the biggest right back prospect right now in the academy Hector Fort is going to be playing with Barca Athletic and registered with the U19s and he's 17 he's just about a year maybe a year and a few months younger than Fresneda so it it does feel like yeah if they had brought Fresneda in that is going to completely block Fort to the it passed to the, the first team but it also brings up I think what Barcelona's new we'll say academy and transfer policy is and that is with grabbing Noah Darvich from Freiburg to grab as many young talents as humanly possible that you can. And some will work out and some will not. And not to the point of Chelsea, but almost to the point, we'll say, of Man City. Man City doesn't necessarily go out and, and purchase all the highest quality 16 to 18-year-olds in world football for their academy, then sell them later. That is not City's business model because, obviously, quite frankly, City Group don't need that to be their business model. But we do know that their business model has something to do with Girona and cultivating some of their talent at Girona. And then potentially, I mean, looking at some of those moves that they've made, whether it's Angel Herrera or even Alex Garcia, I mean, those aren't necessarily gigantic transfer coups for, for uh, City selling all those players off uh, eventually. Again, also with Man New York City FC being the same thing and whatever. You get the point. But yeah, in, in the case of Fresneda and, and blocking Fort, you don't want to put all of your eggs in the basket of a 17-year-old who's in the academy. But in the same way... If Barcelona are really sold on this kid in Hector Fort, the way that they were in Balde, the way that they were in Gabi, the way that they clearly are in Laminia Mall, if they feel like this kid is next, then you're only talking about maybe bringing him up a few times, very much like Rico Lewis. You bring him up a few times next season. He's playing Barca Athletic this year, as well as the UEFA Youth League in the U19s. And maybe they do believe in him more than we'll say we think that they do. And 17 is kind of old enough where... If you are a top, top, top level prospect, the club is already aware of you and already considering some of that potential. So that would be the one solace, silver lining, I would say, for Kool-Aid on missing out of Fresneda because I would agree, having seen what I saw from him last season, he's going to be very, very good right back in world football. But if he does go to Portugal, like a sporting CP or, or Porto, or yeah, it's one thing to go to Arsenal. But if he does go to even Brighton would be, I'd say, the ceiling for him mm -hmm. to go. So if he goes to even a place like Brighton and then you work your way down again to Portugal, if he goes to Portugal for 15 million euros, that doesn't mean that, I mean, that basically means that all of those big clubs in world football passed on the idea of this 18 year old now for 15 million. And they're all willing to come back for him for 40 or 50 in two years time, or even a year's time. So that tells you what maybe all these top level clubs are agreeing that Fresneda isn't at the moment, which he's 18. 
he shouldn't be expected to be that at the moment. So anyway, let's now transition to the last little segment here, talking a little bit about tactics. I think people really love these segments and especially Amos, I have you on, I have your time, so I'm going to use it widely because statistics reveal right now, it's not just Ter Stegen and Xavi's Barcelona, even Ederson playing for the control, every variance, Pep Guardiola, the way he likes to control everything. And you and I, I said this to you before we started the show, when you have managers, again, I bring up Brighton as well, and Fluminense that, that our, our friend, the purest football ha- have worked on. Those clubs are truly the ones that are kind of gra- breaking new ground with some of those tactics and trying things because trying things matters to their success. They have to try things to, to, to elevate themselves up the, up the charts and up the, the standings. But a club like Man City, once Pep Guardiola adopts, we'll say, these new in vogue football ideas, well, then it becomes the norm. And then, then, we, then everyone kind of says, okay, if that's what Guardiola's thinking, well, that's maybe where football is going. And, and he just, he's become a tastemaker and he's earned it as one of the greatest managers of all time. But it also seems like even Guardiola, who controls every variant, every variable, he is having his goalkeeper in Ederson hoof the ball up the field a bit more and a bit longer, very much like Ter Sagan did last season. And that's, again, a small sample size, at least for the first few games. But that does also have something to do with the pressing. Top teams not only have the elite ball players and possession players, which, again, you're dating back to the greatest era of Guardiola and, and, and Barcelona. But now in world football, they also have the elite players in transition, i.e. Man City. Man City has both some of the best possession and ball dominant players in world football, but they also have these elite players in transition, uh, including the likes of, obviously, Erlen Holland in the middle. Now, I do give some credence to more teams who are overmatched playing a zonal marking system with five at the back, very much like Barcelona just saw against Cadiz, forcing teams like City or Barcelona to put six players forward to create a numerical advantage, create, put six on that, that front line to contend with that back line of five, and also to create some width. So both City and Barca, we're seeing, are employing a 3-4-3 to create a lot of width out wide. The difference with City and Barcelona this season is that Barca, as I already said, is putting it all on Balde and the width-wise flawed Rafinha, while City are relying on Foden, Grealish, Bernardo Silva, none of which are truly natural wingers, which again is an interesting wrinkle to this. And against Newcastle, it was interesting to see Gavardiol as the left back next to Diaz and Akanji, with Walker being the right back. Also, the fact that Pep didn't make any subs, this might be a different discussion point, but he didn't make any subs in the one nothing win over Newcastle. That was pretty wild to me. I, again, that's a different topic. <laughs> or maybe it's concerning. I don't know. I know that De Bruyne and Silva are out, but zero subs is certainly something. But when you're looking at Guardiola being the tastemaker in Wolf football and tactics, what do you think Guardiola's positional play, and, and I guess we'll say kind of adaptation into a little more verticality coming from his goalkeepers, is that how this is going to continue to evolve in 2023? It's fascinating. It truly is. Obviously, last year, um, Guardiola shocked the world almost when he reverted to, I think it's safe to say, like a an almost 1930s-style WM formation, which had sort of unearthed from the Middle Ages almost. And and obviously, big man up top, Erling Haaland, and, and, and sort of play in a formation that hadn't been seen for the best part of 100 years to go on and win the treble and win the Champions League. The, it, the, there was just a beautiful irony in that, obviously, we, we, we put Guardiola down to his football purist, and, and even he said at one point, you know, I have, to, I have my wonderful defenders. They love to defend. That's what won us these titles which was you know fantastic and, and perhaps maybe a, a a sign that things are changing however the, there was a really interesting moment especially this season trying to analyze city games has been truly mind-boggling and i'm almost convinced at this point guardiola is doing it on purpose just to just make our, our jobs so much harder because there was a moment in the burnley game first game of the season where edison was essentially part of the back four and i think it goes back to this concept that you you know Guardiola is not the first person to operate with a goalkeeper almost as part of the outfield play. I think Thiago Motta said quite a few years ago, actually, that, you know, he's adopting, a, he was a PSG youth coach and he was adopting this 7 2, would it be 1 formation, um, where it's sort of horizontal instead of vertical. Um, and I guess that's probably where, where we are going. Emma Hayes, who is the Chelsea women manager and, and often comes under the scourge of, of Barcelona Femini anyway. So I'm sure listeners will, will be very well aware of, of her, her presence, but she's fantastic. And, and I would urge anyone to listen to her speak about football. 
is unbelievable. But she she spoke recently. She she put this wonderful quote out, and it really sort of got my cogs turning. Where she tells players that you see football vertically. I see it horizontally. And it sounds very basic because obviously a manager stood on the touchline, they see it horizontally, players are facing either goal, they see it vertically. But when you apply that to the thinking of a manager, be that Emma Hayes, be that Guardiola, be that Xavi, be that whatever coach in European football or world football, of course, it just makes a lot of sense as to why these decisions are made and why you would have a goalkeeper stepping alongside your centre-back or why you'd have your midfielder stepping behind into the defence. I almost feel like we are conditioned, maybe because of the poor coaching at grassroots level perhaps, or just the way we operate and the way we see football. But we do see football quite binary. There is a defence, there is a midfield, there are attackers, there's a striker. I don't know if there's any top-level footballer who would see it like that at all, bar maybe one or two players. How many players nowadays have a set position? Um, I'd say very few. So it is very arbitrary in that sense. And I guess it's sort of, it, it goes to a level beyond where we can necessarily comprehend it just as mere mortal football supporters. And I guess that's what's so fascinating about it because we love to share our opinions and, and hopefully we do a decent enough job of it. But uh, come the end of the day when push comes to shove, these people working at top level football are just are just in a different stratosphere. They're beyond anything we can properly comprehend, which is um it, it's magical to watch at times when you see these next evolutions. Because you think you've seen it all. You genuinely in twenty ten Barcelona you'd think that was it. That is the epitome of football. Obviously the influences from Cruyff, etc. However, thirteen, fourteen years later it's still it's still evolving and it will continue to evolve. Well, yeah, you, you go back to the time of, of Renus Michaels and what he says about what keeps football simple is the same thing that Guardiola says in 2023. And it's that when you have the ball, you want to create as much width and create space. And you want to exploit the spaces that are left behind by the team that is defending. And when you don't have the ball, you want to create not even narrow space. You want to restrict the space that the opposition has so they don't have those same spots to exploit you. And that is what makes... Football so simple. And to your point about Gordia going back to the WM of the of the 30s, football tactics as well seem to be, what is that? The infinity symbol, uh, a lemniscate, if you will, right? And that's what it is. It's just you continue to go around and around and around. And once you feel like, yeah, things have gotten a little bit too possession heavy in, in, in world football, then we saw after what I always think of the 2014 World Cup when even though those are international sides, I'm watching and I'm like, over half of these teams, like 75% of these teams are just sitting in medium to low block and then wanting to counterattack. And yes, obviously, international play, talent disparities do create those kind of situations. And obviously, knockout competition is a lot about being more defensively sound and just getting the one result you need to and suffering in any way. I understand that, but you just felt like teams even going into that tournament were saying, this is our identity. This is who we are. And that was a direct, direct reaction to the success of Guardiola's team in the same way that now you look in the championship may have a reputation, but now you look at center backs around the championship and their ball playing abilities. Again, mm. that is kickstarted by the last 15 years where the methodology of football has become, well, goalkeepers, center backs, there are going to be managers who just want you to be shot stoppers. If you're a goalkeeper and just do your job that way. And those exist. And then there are going to be managers that are saying, Hey, you're basically, as, as you just said, you're a ball playing center back who has hands that he can use in his box. Like that is what you are now. Good luck as a, as a, as a ball playing center back goalkeeper. Yeah. Do your thing. And they almost concede that a lot of the times it's, you'd have the perfect goalkeeper if you could do both. But a lot of times we almost have to put these players. So we conceptualize them. We have to put them into these different camps. So Ter Stegen, what is he? Oh, he's not a shot stopper, even though he does that to a tremendous degree at the top level, we put him in this camp of ball playing. Courtois, in the same regard, isn't too far off Ter Sagan with his ball playing abilities, but we say, oh, actually, he's a better shot stopper, and that's what he is. It, it's like a shoot where you say, okay, well, which shoot is, is this player down and which player is that down? Which, again, kind of brings this whole thing full circle back to Concello. I would love to try to put him in a tactical box, but I'm really glad to have, to have had you on today to say that, well, no, like he is an elite fullback. Full stop. Can he overlap? Sure. Can he invert with the ball? Sure. But his raw talent and ability makes it that whatever Xavi might need him to do, there's a possibility that he's going to be able to do that at an elite level. And putting him in a box without understanding his role that Xavi's going to have for him almost limits 
what he may be able to do. With the, with the exception of the fact that we can all admit he is not a defensive right back. He is not a traditional defensive right back. We've all agreed. There it is. And, and, his, and his temperament in the locker room throughout his career, even at 29, has led him to many stops along the road. That would be the other, we'll say, weakness. So if he keeps his head on straight, well, then we've got rid of half the problems. And if he defends a little bit in the Liga, which, I mean, to that point, the real value of Cancelo, to your point, again, to, to sum it all up, would be how he helps Barcelona in Europe. Because again, if you want to win the Liga again, you actually go out and you buy Fresneda. Because Fresneda might help you win for the next six of the Ligas. Or beyond that, I mean, it's 18. So however many, right? Seven of the next 10, like Barcelona just had the last decade. So that's what Fresneda does for you. But if this season, you want to, as I think, I believe is being floated as being in his obligation to buy clauses, if you want to make the Champions League quarterfinals, if that's what you want to do, Cancelo this season was the player you had to bring in to that point. And you kind of deal with, we'll say, the rest of it after the fact. Because this is a, an elite right back or left back. This elite fullback in the world at this moment. Or at least he can be. <laughs> and, and even then, right? Bayern Munich and Man City, even while he was having rows with those managers, he was still part of these elite squads in Europe. He still played against Man City for Bayern Munich when they were knocked out. I mean, and, and obviously Man City fans not shower him with compliments, but he still found a way into the, the Bayern Munich squad. It's not like Barcelona are buying a rotation piece. I mean, there is a ceiling for this that is, as you said, very, very, very high, where it may not be peak Danny Alves, but I mean, Danny Alves was amazing for seven years. So if you get three good years out of Cancelo and then you worry about it again, that's football, baby. You just have to, you know, you, you take for what you have in the near term, and his wages are a lot, but yeah, you, you take it that way. So Amos, I really appreciate your time coming on and everything. I will give you the final word if you need it, but if you don't need it, just plug your stuff. And again, I don't know how many Kool-Aids you're going to pull off to the Man City stuff, but I think also, again, it's always good for me to listen to some and enjoy some of your stuff because it does kind of say, hey, the Premier League has a reputation, Liga has a reputation, and those are different reputations. And when you look in the mirror, they're not that different. No, uh, we're all the same deep down, aren't we? Um, I guess my final word will be Cancelo is whatever you want Cancelo to be. And I think he'll accept that himself. He's a, he's a truly fantastic, wonderful footballer. And to to make a weird analogy, I feel like a, a dog owner giving away the, the, the favourite dog who just wasn't right for the family. A new baby's come along and, and you have to say goodbye. I truly, truly, truly hope he finds home in well it's not Camp New anymore but eventually Camp New I, I really hope he, he finds success with Barcelona because he is a wonderful wonderful footballer he's just got to watch his attitude but I wouldn't be the first person telling him that I'm sure yeah I don't think so I think that's part of these conversations right from the get-go especially because we didn't even bring up the fact that his agent is Jorge Mendes who mm. I think certainly would he be coming to Barcelona if not for the relationship between Mendes and he's got a few clients in that Barcelona squad already in the likes of Ansu Fati and, and then you look at Jao Felix and some of those names again those are problems hopefully I don't have to worry about till next week so we'll talk about those next week with the end of the transfer window but again for now I want to thank Amos Murphy for coming on the show again and as always for us Twitter Instagram TikTok Facebook Patreon YouTube the merch store you know where to find us most importantly thanks much for listening to the show until next time we'll talk to you soon don't you love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get a hundred dollars back instantly because no matter what moves you made last year TurboTax makes them count that means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.